leading multi-platform storytelling. Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us. Uh, I didn't tell you who I was um, the other day, um, because really I'm the secret millionaire. <laughs> so you thought I was a writer, but I'm actually here with $2 million of funding for one of your projects. <laughs> uh, no, I am the last thing you need, another writer um, here. So I'm going to give you the one minute. I started out in the industry driving trucks, working in camera cars. Just like Lance, we can load an Aeroflex, put hands in bags, do all that stuff, grads, diopters. Those are my skills. Um, then I fell by chance. After ten wasted years, at a very late stage of my life, I fell into an incredible movie production company and I started working for David Putnam. And I had uh, suddenly, I think I had a million pounds worth of Warner Brothers development money to spend on my own. I had that money in a bag. Um, so I became a very cool story exec around town. And you know what it's like, Mike, when you're a story exec around town. Girls, cars, everybody wants to have lunch with you. Yeah, ensuite room, two ensuite rooms. Um, and then I threw all of that away um, to become a writer. So I got rid of the incredibly fantastic Saab open-top car, got married, had kids, became a writer, got really poor, still relatively poor, but I'm happy. Um, so there I was, dying as a sort of dinosaur in the, in the uh, linear world of TV and, and movies. Uh, then I got a, a gig with Douglas Adams, which was supposed to be just two weeks, on a very good daily rate, helping Douglas uh, deliver his, the first PC game that he made, Starship Titanic. Um, two weeks on a daily rate became two and a half years on that same daily rate. So I got the Beamer again, and we've got a new house. And by the end of the process, we made the game, but it flopped, and the company went bust. But anyway, I was launched on a new career. And so uh, since then, I've written probably about 20 big sort of games, first-person shooters. Uh, we'll have a look at some of them. I continue to work in TV as a writer, so I've written about a dozen dramas in education learning in the last five years, and I've had five nominations, and I've been not a bride a single time, so five times I've gone up and heard my name, looked around, seen my reaction on there, and didn't win a single award. So some of, these are some of the things that have not won awards that I've written. Um, uh, so a bit of a mixture, really. Uh, I'm doing a fantastic interactive uh, online series for CBBS called Alpha Blocks, which is teaching kids um, phonics, and it's really great fun. Doing a, a thing, Tree Food Tom, there, which is a staggeringly expensive Fremantle CBBS uh, animated series. 20-minute shows for kind of five, six-year-olds, which is very unusual. Um, and I'm also I, I'm, I'm the interactive consultant in that show, so I've got to turn uh, all those episodes into interactive experiences, and that, that's been really fantastic. Um, live action stuff, some games, Broken Sword. I work a lot on the Broken Sword series. Just Cause One and Two, I did with Matt. Um, Starship Titanic down there, Driver. Uh, one of my favourites, which is Juiced, where I um, uh, uh, I wrote all the scripts and Juiced them. Um, I think it was Juiced, set on the west coast of America with about 20 different competing gangs from Hispanic, every possible race, culture you could understand, bags of rap and hip-hop. And uh, I wrote all of the scripts and the guys in the studio didn't know that a little 40-year-old white guy in England had written every word. They were like, mofo, they were down with it. <laughs> So those are the clients I work with. Um, I, I'm in business and I, and I get on in this world and I get work um, because I have a mixture of skills. These are the old ones. 
I understand story and plot, and I did English literature at university, even though I drove trucks. It's all characters, motivation, truth. You know, these these are all the things that good old-fashioned writers deal with every day. These are the tools um, to think about your audience in that world. Uh, but I suppose in the last few years, I've learned about being non-linear. Understand how interactive works. A lot of conversation about agency, um, player characters. It's interesting point of view, choice. Uh, branching narratives, played some crazy expensive games for some companies who wanted to reinvent the wheel. You know, like you were saying, you reinvent the wheel. I stand back when they want to give me money to reinvent the wheel. It's, it's a pain, but you have to take the money. And I've, uh, you know, I think I probably spent about 300 grand of the BBC's money making a branching narrative. <laughs> it's stupid. It's really stupid. Don't do it. <laughs> Uh, and then it never got it never got shown because, well, fortunately, they canned it before we we proved that it wouldn't work. Uh, most important thing you have to think about users. You've got to think about players. These are sort of people getting meshed into the you know into the kind of entrails of the stuff that used to be just just yours. So that's my quick. That's not bad, is it? My my life in three minutes. I should have had some pictures of my lovely wife and family, and I wish they were here to accept the award with me. Um, <laughs> So here's a show that I worked on in January, February of this year, and it launched in September. It's called uh, Nightmare High. wasn't our title. We hated it, but we'll come back to that. Um, it's a thing. Nobody knew what to call this thing. It, it, it sits online. Um, it's an online interactive game narrative. It's a sort of little place, which isn't a game, but it has game components. It's a story. It's animation. It's a whole lot of funny stuff all thrown together. Commissioned by Channel 4 Education, who've been really innovative in the last um, three or four years of, of uh, 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 trying to find a way of launching learning and education just online and trying to capture uh, an audience of users in a very different way. I guess over here you had all those old BBC sort of education shows when you were at school. That I'm sure they got sold to ABC here. And you kind of sat through them. And I used to write, still do write quite a lot of that stuff. But Channel 4 have a very canny approach to it. And they've been quite innovative and won a lot of awards. Um, the thing I was going to make, made by a developer called Something Else, who are a um, very clever agency, big company, probably got about 150 people, I would have thought, in working there. This show was written by me and a, um, a lovely writer called Neil Bennon. Uh, I love writing partnerships, so I don't mind when somebody wheels in a new person into the room and says, write together. Um, I, I, I like it. Um, so Neil was somebody I hadn't written with before, but he's phenomenally clever and intelligent, and so that was a great relief to me, because I'm not. <laughs> um, we had a very small budget. The ambition was large. I think that was going to be the cause of some of the problems. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you sort of what we thought we were building uh, and then uh, how it turned out. Because I didn't find out how it turned out until I went to actually play it just a couple of months ago, a week or two after it launched. And boy, was that a surprise. Um, something else um, wanted to make this interactive narrative thing. Um, and not surprisingly, they wanted to base it on something they had already done, which did really well for Channel 4, uh, which was a thing called um, Super Me. Um, and I played Super Me, I'd played it the, the year before, and I was a bit sort of disappointed with it, um, really. Uh, they kind of, they said it was a game. I, I didn't really think it was a game. It was a series of of sort of experiences, really, that you clicked on, and things happened at you, and through that happening, you got some points, and therefore that seemed to make you better, and it seemed to have proved that you had learned. Uh, I didn't really get that, um, and I sort of felt that people would click on these things, maybe five, ten-minute 
interviews with people and then they'd spend the next 10 minutes going and doing some other stuff while it rolled in the background and then they'd accumulate the points so so I thought we were going to do something different they said yeah we're going to do super me but with a story uh, and at this point we're going to add a bit of atmosphere shall we have that running underneath do you think um Super Me plus a story. Everybody wanted to get some narrative. Uh, and um, this is what the producers said afterwards, is why they hired some writers to come into this rather flat experience. Uh, she was a great producer, fantastic creative producer called Joe Roach. Uh, and I, I love this um, assessment of what a writer's role is in interactive entertainment. I think it's, I think it's pretty true. Right, bring the magic. Um, projects need great story. You have to bring fantasy, fun, excitement. Um, you need to understand the format, have an understanding of interactive narrative, um, big understanding of the audience. Um, everybody I've worked to in this kind of hybrid place in between TV and games, uh, they've had bad experiences with, with writers. And, um, uh, you know, they get great writers who work in sort of linear. And it, takes you, it does take you a year or two to sort of find out how to work in a non-linear uh, environment, and so they have bad experiences. The writers get pissed off and um, and get have sort of hissy fits. And, uh, but uh, you know, if you work in it a long time, you begin to understand the rules. Um, the big issue with this project was um, uh, Channel Four Education Vision lay on top of all of this. Um, so, give you a second to read that. They, it's sort of education by stealth. It's not for consumption in schools. It's going to be consumed at home. Uh, and kids, it has to be so good that kids want to go there. So they don't think they're actually going to get some education. They go there to have some fun and to play games. Now, of course, you're competing against real games. I mean, why my 15-year-old son, well, when he was 13, I mean, I know the answer to this. Why would he want to play Nightmare High when he could be playing Call of Duty? I mean, if you asked me which would be better, I'd say go play Call of Duty. Um, because the budget of this, the gameplay, is not going to deliver the fun. Um, this there's a this is quite a big sort of philosophy of play is not disguised learning play is the learning it be quite interesting to discuss this um, later uh, I've got a view on that um, anyway at least they said it should be fun and useful they want to tell stories in different ways and I really admire that ambition so the uh, ambition is fantastic uh, this, this was the hard bit um, when Neil and I arrived on sort of day one, uh, we were put in a room with the research. Um, and the research was staggering. Um, let me just see. I can see these. Oh, no, Gary, it's falling apart. No, I'm going to go back. I'm just going to go back, actually. Just, we'll look at this. Um, uh, yeah, they went to schools. They'd spent three months, I think, um, going to schools and talking to kids. Anyway, they, they came out with nearly 300 pages of research. And the idea was, on day one, we would sit down and read this, and then we'd start at one o'clock after lunch and start writing the story. <laughs> and it sort of doesn't really work like that. So it was a bit of a culture gap to get over. Uh, anyway, we did dutifully read the you know, 250 pages of research, uh, and then they handed us a brief. So just tell me why I'm not getting... Yeah, and tab, and I should be able to tab across to... Okay. Yeah, here's the big, um, here's the big document. In, and actually, in 
in anything to do with learning and education in the UK these days, there is a staggering amount of sort of curriculum stuff involved. Um, uh, any of you who work in that? I mean, even I, in, uh, even sort of working on um, fun things like True Fu Tom, uh, which is a kind of you know kids' fun show. The, the educational consultant is in the room all the time. Um, and they're often quite serious. And they, they, you know, they, they often kill ideas. It's a horrible role for them, but they, they seem to be there to kill stuff. Um, look at this. Oh, this tough. Blah 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 blah. So um, we had to read this, absorb it, and we mustn't sort of do anything that contradicted it. Um, then they gave us at uh, lunchtime. They gave us this brief. Uh, the show was called Truth Specs then. So it sounds quite nice. We write the story structure and the main characters, blah, 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 and then they can go off and, and make the game. And here's the, here's the interesting bit. Between Wednesday, January the 8th and Tuesday, February the 1st, okay, and you sort of look at it and you go, oh, that's two weeks then. So we've got, we've got two weeks, just the two of us. And what have you got so far? Um, they didn't really have anything. What they had, you'll see at the bottom, they had this idea. It's, it, it's a thing that's going to take place in a school. Um, uh, as they say at the bottom here, uh, we think it's totally bonkers. <laughs> um, uh, it's a slightly wrong version of a school which you may or may not have just joined as a new kid or maybe not. Uh, and they just need a story that allows us to explore all the difficulties of major change in a way that will make the audience laugh, make the players feel awkward, make everybody want to play on through moments of failure and jeopardy. So that's, that's pretty much all that they had. It's going to take place in a school. You've got two weeks to build it. And the sort of design isn't really coming on board yet, so you're kind of doing the game design as well. And if you could remember, we wanted to be like Super B, but not quite like that, so it's got to have story involved in it. So um, what we did, uh, which is um, what I always do, um, first of all, I said, Where's the, where can we work together? We're going to need a place because we can't just sit here in the middle of 100 people and, and be writers because we've got to do writery things, which is sort of like hang out and talk about sex and things like that. You know, because you, you basically do that for the first two days. That's how writers work. And if you're going to hire them, you have to give them that kind of freedom. Uh, they go off into a corner, they go and have coffee, uh, then they go and eat lunch, they, they don't come back, they go for a walk, they visit a museum. This is what I do in my life. All the writers in the room, this is familiar, isn't it? Uh, you're naughty, you slang people off, you go and watch a film that you like, uh, you talk about your girlfriend, and, and then... And in a funny way, what you're doing is you're mating. I mean, if you're working with another writer, you're, you're mating and, uh, and you fall in love. You just fall in, you have to fall in love if you can be creative together. And this, a writer-producer relationship is like that when it works. Um, Jennifer and Christina, I think you two fell in love, didn't you? You're lovers, aren't you? Yeah. You, you can, not, yeah, not like that. But you can see it in a creative sense when, when, when people have that. When a look, just shortcuts and you can get something said and done. Nobody gets hurt by what's said. There's got to be an enormous amount of truth in there. So you have to bear your soul as a writer when you're working with another writer. So we asked where we were going to work. And they said, oh, well, there's this place downstairs um, with the radio guys. Um, and it was basically a glass bubble. You know the way sort of big contemporary offices have like a bubble? So you can't do bad things in there. And there's no blinds so that nobody can do bad things and everybody can see you. We call it the Guantanamo room because it had orange sofas. It was all orange decor. So we sat on orange sofas and then, so then we just played. We had to solve some problems really quick. First thing we did was we had to work out 
What are the rules of this school? What are the rules of the world? The, uh, everything, no matter how much it's going to be a playful environment, it's all about rules, and we have to get the rules sorted out quickly. We have to ask some really basic questions. What's point of view? All of these things are kind of things that you don't do if you're doing a theatre or a sitcom or a movie, because that stage has been fixed. It's been out there for hundreds of years. Everybody knows the audience sits here, the actors sit here, they come on here and they go off here, and this is how the story gets played out. But every time you build an interactive project, the damn stage has to be built from scratch and nobody knows where the audience is going to be what they can hear or see where they are in the process how many actors you've got even if they are called actors um, we have to work out POV what, I mean who's playing this is, is it going to be a character that we see on the screen is it second person is it first person if it's somebody who's in there is it a boy or a girl is it an avatar can they build their avatar uh, what do the avatars look like do we want to go down that road even those decisions start to dictate what kind of game it's going to be. You know, if your player character is in that world, it's going to be a different kind of game from if you're moving around looking like, like this. All the game mechanics are going to be totally different. Has it got characters in it? Who are we going to meet? Can we build some characters? First thing you want to know, we want to make some great characters. Um, and we decided, yes, we're going to build some characters. Uh, but how do you talk to them? There are so many different ways of talking to characters in a game, and some are expensive and some are not. Um, do you show a character that you meet an icon and then you discuss it like that? Is there a little dialogue tree that pops down? Is it ordained? What's going to happen? Do you have freedom? Starship Titanic that I worked in, whoa, what a game. We actually, you know, as a, as a player, you wrote and talked to the characters. You typed in. You know, we had a parsing engine. It was fantastic. Natural language processing going on. The result of that, though, just to hop back 10, 15 years, is um, I had to write 16,000 lines of dialogue to be recorded just because you didn't know what the hell somebody was going to say to you. Um, where do we tell the story? Big, big thing. Uh, we know it's going to be like Super Meat, so we know there's going to be some interviews. We know there's going to be a place. We know we're going to see some little animated characters in there. We've got to tell a story. Instinctively, we want to turn it into acts, because we can't talk to each other unless we know we're in the first act, second act, third act. We want to, these are the rules. We want to break it down into structures that we recognize. So, um, the next thing we did was we'd got the whiteboards up. Now, whiteboards, I am a really, really big fan of whiteboards. And I, I think one of the things you're going to find out today is you're going to be forced to work with some big pieces of paper. Um, the, uh, a writer's first love in the interactive world should be his or her whiteboard. Um, when I set up a company about seven, eight years ago with some other writers, do you know what the very first thing we did as a company? You know, we got the company name, we got an account, we got some money in there. And what do you think the first thing we bought was? We spent a morning choosing a whiteboard. Um, and we got the biggest whiteboard that could be delivered and put into the house that would come, that would come through the door. Um, whiteboards are amazing. Now, what you can see on here, I wonder if I can... Can we make this a bit bigger, Gary? How do we make it bigger? Can I sort of focus in on the screen a little bit? Can you see that? No, okay. Well, I'll try and... Um, yeah, I can't see it either, so... <laughs> second which glasses I can... Um, um, Okay, so this, this is, I think this was just one day. I'm not quite sure which day we captured, um, but we, we got into the habit of photographing the. Um, we got into the habit of photographing the photographing the wall in case some buggers came in which happened and you see we put Pete please leave on here so you know we knew we had 14 days to sort of build this world and God did it in six didn't he I can't remember was it six he took seven yeah sure so um so but we had well we only had ten because we didn't do it at the weekends um 
So what we started to do, we've got the, we'll start with the sort of left-hand side there. First, I remember, actually, that was the very first thing we wrote, Act, act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. Um, and the idea was that we would start to throw stuff in here. The reason you could see these little pictures and things on here is because the, the stage is unknown, and you have to start to visualise. I think we were about two hours into talking about the world when we realised that I was looking at it top-down in my head, I was seeing like a sort of strategy game, you know, um, what, uh, like sort of Byrax, you know, Age of Empires, that sort of thing. And, and Neil, the other guy, or the Neil as we became known, they called us the Neil, um, uh, he was seeing it in a kind of isometric view, uh, you know, where he was kind of walking through stuff. We kept, we kept coming to misunderstandings, and then we realized it was because in our heads we didn't see the same thing. So we started to draw things, and when either of us can draw, but it was very important. And uh, what you have to do in all the projects you're working for, as soon as you're moving into an interactive space, is you've got to start getting stuff out onto pages like this. And I, I was really, I'm really surprised at day two that all of your workspaces do not have on the floor 10 or 15 big sheets of paper, because I don't know how you can do it if you haven't got that. Um, what we were able to do by, by sort of drawing is we could suddenly go off into an area up here and go, um, right, missions, how many missions have we got? Um, uh, we're going to have artifacts and icons. We're going to go around. Um, we're going to go around collecting stuff. Where are we going to collect it? Um, okay. Well, let's draw the school. Let's start having some sort of places. Uh, yeah. If we can move across into the right. Yeah. Um, where have we got some? Oh yeah, characters. Luckily, it was such a big whiteboard that after we gone out and had a sort of few coffees and walked around, we decided to come back and do the characters. So up on here, we went into our school days. I think we spent probably a day just talking about what it was like when we were at school and then using the research to find people's stories of school. And there's a kind, it's funny how the archetypes don't go away. Um, we had the same kind of bullies at school, um, but he went to some girls in his school and that brought out a whole layer of bullydom that I hadn't really encountered because I stayed away from girls because you know, they're quite dangerous. Um, but he, he had to deal with the girls. Like, so he had three bitches. He had, the, he had the three bitches in his... Did you... Any, with girls in your schools, you know, they hang around in threes? Uh, and they gain superpowers by being in three, uh, and they can make you wee. And Neil said they made him, they made him wee. They scared him so much, and some stuff that they said to him that they made him wee. Uh, I hope I'm not going to do that in the Melbourne conference, Gary. <laughs> um, and so we started finding these other ar ar archetypes, sort of characters that we recognised, and because we recognised them, we could write them pretty quickly. There was Crying Girl, um, the girl who just was really miserable, and she always cried, and nobody could help her, and she was lost. Um, uh, a sort of gobby girl who was like the one who could always outrude you. You know, you'd sort of say something rude, and she'd say, "Ah, oh, yeah, but you've got a stupid cock anyway, haven't you?" And then you'd go red because she just said cock, you know, and you'd have to scurry away. <laughs> um, so it was a fantastic and really gorgeous exploration. Uh, and uh, I wish I'd taken Matt's advice, which was, you know, there's probably you're going to create IP in here, and you should have a deal where you own some of this IP because you'll find stuff in here that you'll want to write about. And we did. We found all this lovely stuff about being a 12, 13-year-old in school at a point of transition, which is what this game's about. So when we built the game, we were absolutely building it from the heart and from our personal experience. Um, early characters, good, I've just talked about those. Um, so after about a week, uh, we started the game company. They contracted a 
company to make the sort of flash game component of this. They, for some reason, I never quite understood who the designer was, but you, you know, in, in developers sometimes, uh, especially kind of web developers, there's like a little committee of people, they don't tell you what their title is, and you have to somehow guess who's got the power and who's really doing the design, because it may not be the person whose name is designer, it's actually some other guy. Um, uh, but they started to... Um, put a little bit more order onto it. So here we are inside a kind of first iteration of what the shape and design of this thing is going to be. And we'd already made some decisions here. We're going to tell the story, it's got to be cheap. I mean, they didn't tell us how much money there was to spend, but it clearly wasn't a great deal because we could see what we were getting. And you know what we were getting after we spent the first day complaining about it. If everybody else was getting that much, this was a cheap game. Um, we knew they wanted to to have kind of experiential videos. So you would unlock videos of people, celebrities, the idea is with this age group, supposedly, that if, you, if they hear a celebrity talking about transition and change and how stuff was bad in their lives, then somehow it goes in deeper. That may or may not be the case. Um, so, but we knew we had to get a lot of these little videos in. Um, we designed it so that the world of the school, which we called the School of Wrong, um, uh, not Nightmare High, it was the School of Wrong, um, it was a world that you, the player, had um, in some way um, blown up. You'd blown up reality. You'd made this school into a kind of nightmare uh, place. Um, and it was full of... Uh, and it was getting worse and worse. The teachers uh, and the pupils were going weird. There was a sort of sound of scratching behind doors. It was a kind of horror place. And what you had to do, you had to go through this environment, find out... Um, who was fucking it up, basically, whether they were teachers or other pupils, why they were doing it, why the bullies were behaving like uber-bullies, find out quite why they behaved like that. And if you could understand them, then you kind of got a point system that meant you began to heal them. And as, as you learned more and more about everything that was wrong with all the people, in, in a way you were beginning to be independent and sort of more grown up and understanding that you were not the only one who was lost here. You could take control and you could move through it. And by the end of it, the notion was that you would have followed a sort of story, you would have saved people from death, you would have befriended people who beforehand were your enemies, who your bullies that you hated. Um, and at the very end, uh, I think there was a toilet of doom where you'd rebuild a reality bomb that you'd set off at the beginning and you'd put the whole world sort of back to rights again. And we saw the whole thing as being within an isometric, navigable world that you went through in a kind of first person. So you went to your lockers and you opened your locker from a first person point of view uh, and there was a video playing from some celebrity who was kind of inside your locker and there were some things to grab, icons and you'd go away, they'd give you value and they'd, you know, maybe there's a key that you could go into the headmaster's room and find the secret toilet because Neil and I both felt that schools probably had really beautiful secret toilets that the headmaster used because uh, and they didn't smell of urine and nobody did horrible things to them uh, and that only if you could find that you know maybe maybe the secret to being a, a successful sort of school student would be to find this the wonderful gorgeous toilet at the end of it and then pee in it and then that would somehow break with the spell of reality so there we were in this gorgeous, expensive, by the way, um, navigable world that we came up with. Um, and um, even towards the end of our two weeks as we built this world, um, nobody was telling us that what we were suggesting was not going to be made or was way too expensive. They were just letting us, like puppies, they were just letting us sort of frolic you know, in our writeriness. And um, so in some detail, we 
we sort of even worked out the kind of how you navigate through to the end. You know, you, you're in the canteen, you've got to go to the boiler room, you've got to go and get something, then you go back to whatever that room is, then you go to the canteen, you talk to some characters, uh, you come down here, you've got to go to the staff room, find something else, talk to somebody else, get a hanky. It's like an adventure game. If anybody's played very simple sort of adventure games, it's, it's, it's pretty much that's the routine. Go here, go here, go to the physics lab, getting closer and closer. Uh, you've got some truth specs, which was a lovely idea that they came up with, which you, you, you win you earn truth specs when you put them on you see through to the soul of the people who are talking to you in the game so um, Gabby bitch you know baiting bully um, you wear these and you realise that actually inside she's really uh, you know her, it's her family and her relationship with her mother that sort of made her like that and her mother's are like a tiny Gabby inside her that's uh, eating away at her sort of like acid uh, and, but so once you see this then you begin to see some of these characters in a different light and in the end there you are in the final place you, you have a pee you sort of pull the chain and you move on um, so we had certain deliverables uh, which I don't think we're going to have great enough time to show you but we had to deliver like a game design doc why they said to us create the game design document but we weren't going to complain but it was really the story told in a um, a very user-friendly way. It was a kind of pitch story, about 10 pages, so that Channel 4 would sign off on this without, now I realise, without going into too much detail about how it worked. Um, well, maybe I will show you that. Um, uh, so there's the brief. Uh, oh, Gary... Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not sure it's an acrobat. Is it in Word, this one? I think... Is it an acrobat? Yeah, I think it is, isn't it? Down here. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> about seven or eight pages of this. So you can see it's written in a sort of writery kind of prose. Um, and it's kind of like a story outline, any sort of film outline that you might want to begin when you want to pull people in. Um, so those first couple of paragraphs written very much in a kind of from what the player is experiencing. Um, and then paragraph three, four. Um, this was our description. It's a twisted version of the school that you try to navigate. You're Alice down the rabbit hole. You know, the kind of place that only Doctor Who goes. You're in big trouble, you're going to have to get out. This is a key paragraph, actually. This is our vision of how it's going to work. So how does this world work? It's first person. It's navigated by an isometric view of the unreal and magical school. There's sort of dollar signs racking up as you read this in the background. As you play through scenarios, you unlock new doors, new people, new experiences. It feels dark and mysterious. Um, we came up with such a lot of wonderful stuff. I'm going to just scroll down and scroll up because it's this kind of Word document. Okay, you can play as a boy or girl. Um, this is the kind of stuff we want, really wanted to do, and this is why we fell in love with this project. Bottom of the page. So, for example, you go down the corridor, you open the door to language room F23, but you're not in the French lab. You're in crying girl's bedroom. So we're in a piece of drama. That was really what we wanted to do. You need to talk to her, a little bit of interactive drama, and, and understand her to complete the scenario. Or you go to the sports hall, and you open it. Instead of being in the sports hall, you're in a kind of survival game. And we thought that would be really quite cool. Either it was animated, um, or, or maybe we could go and try and do something um, for real. Uh, and, and it's survival time up on a moor. So we sort of thought, zombies, but let's get them in. Might as well use them. Um, 
or this was our way that we were going to have these what I felt were rather dull uh, kind of videos of, of people um, that you'd actually use the media inside this navigable environment to start delivering stuff so you turn on a PC in the IT lab and then you get Pixie Lot talking about um, old friends and, or uh, this Hollyoaks actor sort of talking about his first kiss go to the psycho bully's house and you understand why he becomes hateful and angry um, so those are, you know, they, we just sort of kept dropping these things in. These were just a handful of the kind of notions of how we were going to sort of tell the, tell the story. Down here, you'll be able to view the characters in, in your locker, which is also your game user interface and your inventory. We'd already decided you were going to have an inventory in, in here. Here in the locker, you keep your icons. Uh, and the idea was that you'd collect a whole ton of sort of icons and things in the game. And magically, when you got to the school toilet at the very end, um, there was the school crest but it didn't have the parts in it. So the very final game that you did was to take your icons that fitted into the school crest and delivered that very kind of uh, that new labour Latin school crest, which in the UK they suddenly started to put back into school academies to, to make them turn into old like public schools. And once you'd done that and you pressed a button, that was the reality bomb that sent you back. So that was quite a sweet sort of idea. Um, <coughs> lots of ambition. Um, let's just go. Where should we go next? What we had to do was deliver that kind of document. We had to deliver quite a ton of scripts. Now, um, they didn't have enough, enough money to keep paying me. The other Neil was cheaper. Um, so they, um, they carried on with him to carry on writing the script. So they, they, they got some extra weeks out of him to write scripts. Um, but I, my agent wouldn't do a deal with them. <laughs> um, this is the number of people that made it. So I guess it would be interesting to know people who, who build stuff. It's, it sort of seems to me like quite a... You know, it's quite, apart from that video production lineup, it's not a lot of people to sort of build it. They, were, they contracted out to... Um, player three to make all the little flash games that were going to be in, inside this um, but you can see in their sort of basic roles um, you've got executive producer uh, chief creative officer um, Tassos their associate producer in UCD he was really the person in charge of the um, education element so he was always breathing over our shoulders and he's a great big Greek guy with a big beard and so when he breathed over your shoulder that was somebody really breathing over your shoulder um, uh, so he constantly was monitoring that we were delivering educational stuff and we had to keep rewriting and rewriting for him um, story and script tech team pretty obvious the sort of people involved in that the, the experts were and um, their stuff would come in via email so stuff was sort of going off every day from us and coming back with notes so like school it was like being back at school again you're getting education notes on it um the video production we'd had nothing to do with that and in the end the look and feel of this is not and the videos is not what we had expected and that's the kind of key, I might as well say it now, I think the key error they made was that they, sh they should have found some more money in the budget for at least one of us to remain on a kind of retainer role throughout because they put us into a room for two weeks and said, you're the vision holders, build the vision. But they didn't treat us like the vision holders afterwards. Once they got the stuff out of us, we were sort of expendable and way too expensive. And suddenly our daily rate looked like a, a big hole in the budget. But actually, you know, as sort of David, can, it was clear in sort of what David was talking about, that, that role of vision holder, if you don't keep them in the show, 
Any one of these people can step in and make what to them is a really tiny decision and it completely blows the logic of the thing that you've spent a day discussing. And they don't understand that they've done that and they just need somebody in there to actually say, Do you know, you can't turn that screw that far otherwise the whole thing will break. Um, how did it end up? How are we doing for time? Are we okay? Got ten, another ten minutes? Well, um, let's roll the video. This, this is basically the kind of the the screen that you would get if you um, played the game. Um, this is a completed game, so actually what's happened is, um, so I can access some of the stuff that's in here. Um, uh, it, it, when you start the game, there's just the school. There's none of these other characters in here. Um, let me go out of this and we'll go to the actual game show and see if it runs. Right, I'll just talk you through a little bit of um, what this is. So you arrive at the school. Um, down at the bottom here, it says choose an episode. Um, these, you can't quite see what they are when you first start the game. They just go 1 to 14 down here. And basically, it's kind of a sort of clunky, linear ex experience because you, you do number 1, and then that unlocks number 2, and then you do number 2, and it unlocks number 3 and number 4. Now, all of these things are the bits of experience. You see, there's a game there. There's a game, there's a game, there's another one, and there's another one. One, two, three, four, five games. Um, these uh, are the different little bits of, of, of media. We've got a sort of comic strip that runs in. We had to use kind of like graphic novel comic, comic strip to be able to tell bits of, uh, of story as well. And all of this lot, which are now laid out in a tab at the bottom... Um, we'd kind of written and designed the whole thing and felt that it was going to take place in an exploratory way so that it would be much more non-linear and that you'd be able to pick and choose and go backwards and delve and so on. Now, obviously, for various reasons, probably to do with cost they, you know, and time, they ended up not making that. And it kind of emasculated the, the story. And it also took away from it the one really important thing that if only they'd phoned us up and asked us, we thought they should keep. We... we the, the way this world worked in our imagination was it was a world that was getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And unless you moved faster and faster and faster and got stuck in and solved things, uh, it was going to go wrong and the whole thing would blow up and the zombies would come. So there was, there was a sense of... There was all the value of linearity, like increasing tension, a destination, a reason to go and do things. All those things of linearity that are still in interactive media because they carry uh, an importance and a value. That was what we wanted in there. And all of that stuff is what they didn't put in. And they put in the wrong linearity, from what I can see. They put in an interface that means that you just go in a straight line and you do one thing after another. And there's no sense of kind of character journey or arcs or things getting better or worse. Um, I'll just play... So when you, when you launch the game, the first thing you get is this. Oh, we were going to get people to turn their Wi-Fi off, Gary, weren't we? Yeah, we've got background mental heavy At 8 o'clock this morning, this, um, this loaded instantly, so... Some of you, some of you, I can see from my lectern here, some of you boys at the back. Yes, you, Costello. Yes. <laughs> well, I'll be sending Mr. Hayes round later, and do you know what it's like when one of those hits the back of your head? Okay, well, I can't load it, so we'll... Uh, I'll tell you what, we've got it, we've got it here, haven't we? But... Um, yeah, you just find the... So, so you launched the first video. There are sort of two or three videos in here. 
This will be the first one that you get. Do you want to go straight in? Yeah. A new school. My new school. Pretty scary. I had a... Don't get lost. Just try and keep my head down. I'll try and avoid trouble. I want to get my gym stuff. And I will not freak out. I'll do just enough work. I won't be too funny, too loud, or too quiet. I'm going to make a good impression. And most importantly, I will not blow up reality. Well, that was my plan. But it started to go kind of wrong. I didn't know Liam Bastin had a favourite desk. Or that Chloe Finch cries about absolutely everything. (laughs) (sighs) First break. No, please don't throw my gym stuff out the window. (gasps) So, I had to do gym in the evil kit from the cupboard. Walk of shame. I saw my sister at lunch. She just completely blanked me. By expressive arts, I was totally losing it. I read out a poem I'd written. Liam Bastin must have liked it, because he put it on YouTube. And pretty soon, every kid in every class in the country knew about my epic fail. Last class, panicking. No mates, no control, no idea. And that's when it happened. My day was so bad, it was unreal. So bad, I blew up reality. How to get back? You tell me. So, that was quite ambitious, and um, I think they spent all their money on that video. (laughs) Uh, um, and really from then there's about sort of three or four little videos that occur in, inside the game but that's in a sense that's probably the most story-ish that it um, um, so you so you know then it starts to get cheap because now you're trying to tell we're trying to tell the story here through um, characters oh now the interesting thing is these characters with these funny things in their stomachs now um this was a bit of a surprise to us or it's certainly a surprise to me when I saw it uh, I remember a really early meeting and see these funny things that some, like people have ideas so somebody had this idea that ah oh, wouldn't it be great if um, so you could see your the state of every character in the game through some kind of like soul window uh, and we all went yeah that would be quite interesting um, and we'll sort of maybe we'll run with that but we didn't run with that because we didn't really understand it um, and I thought that had been forgotten but lo and behold look it turns up but I can and I don't there's nothing in the game that ever tells you why these people have these strange things inside their stomachs or why they've got holes in their stomachs. So it was never implemented and so somebody put it in the design because it wasn't part of the, the, the proper vision. The characters carried on. I, who knows? Is that person happy? Are they sad? Well, I don't know what's going on in there. Um, 
so, so in the end, what, what happened was it was a kind of fragmented design that had a lot of the, the worst bits and the little things that we hadn't thought were very important suddenly had become very important. Um, the games themselves... Uh, they're tiny little kind of flash games. You know, you have to kind of navigate school door corridors that have got um, bursts of flame running through them. You have to hop over the sort of trap doors that open and then you go and get something as a prize at the end of it. Now, those kind of games are to a penny. Kids play them on and off and they play them on their phones. Um, but I, I'm, I do not know how you can deliver a, a kind of deep learning objective through playing a game like that. In the end, you played the game in here and you win something and it tells you that you have won more understanding. And that to me is... is you know, the old-fashioned school dramas on telly, you know, albeit cheap as they were, probably gave you more of an understanding of how understanding was gained than, than that. Um, the little clips of video from celebrities, well... In the end, that was pretty much how it used to be in the old game that they thought they didn't want because they wanted some story in. So there were a lot of people that turned up and spoke for five minutes about what their school life was like and were supposed to be in some way more insightful just because they were DJs. And so they sat in a why. Um, so I, I had a lot of issues with this when I, when I saw it in the end. It seems to be nobody's fault. The people involved were great. They were very clever. They were creative. The designers were good. The Flash game guys delivered great little um, Flash games. But it just seemed as if there wasn't quite an understanding that they had endowed us with the role of vision holders at the beginning. They couldn't then just take that away. It, it wasn't as if that role would be filled automatically by somebody else. So I think whenever you're working on an interactive project, you, you just need to know if you've brought writers into the heart of the design as well as the sort of story, you just can't wave goodbye to them because they know stuff. They know the secrets of how the world is built and how if you change things, the world's going to fall apart. Writers, I think, instinctively are very good at doing macro and micro very, very quickly. I think I may have said this earlier in, in the week that you just, you know, writers understand that if you change a little thing down here, it has a big effect somewhere else. And I, and I just think it's probably only actors and directors kind of get that the most because they're working really with the mess and the sort of entrails of, of story. Um, up here, just so you quickly know, this this is sort of like uh, this is your locker. This is where, um, if it loads properly, it kind of it, it tells you where you are. You're getting s scores for all of the games. You get messages. Um, let me go back to show my scores. Uh, so you can see the sort of the game scores on the right hand side. The icons that you've picked up, you know, the sort of trainers of doom, truth specs, all of these things are supposed to be kind of classic, understandable things that kids would have. The phone is sort of quite interesting. At one point, there is one of these games in which you genuinely do navigate the whole environment. It's a very flat 2D sort of world, but you go along the corridors, you go to the staff room, you find the, the phones that the, head, the teachers have confiscated. There's a great box of phones, which is like finding treasure. Um, you find the key to Liam Bastin's locker. Liam Bastin is the sort of the, the school bastard um, who I recognised. I don't know if you know the bully that was in that scene. It's like everybody had one of those at school. That look that he gave me, it's chilling. Um, and USB that's got all the bad secret stuff that you're not supposed to take to school and there's probably a, like a little porn stick. Or I think we call it the, the gorgeous stick of porn, but we weren't allowed it to call. Why wouldn't we be allowed to call it that? Um, but I've got teenage boys. I know what goes back and forth to school in the bottom of their lunch boxes. Um, uh, and, I've, and you've got a sort of point score. These friendship points, so awarded for connections. 
um, independence. So these reflect if you've taken control inside the games. In, in fact, uh, extra points, transformation points. One of the one of the games, independent points. One of the games was very weird. Um, one of the games you scored more points by failing and keeping playing because therefore it showed that as you kept failing, the more you played whilst you failed, the more somehow patient you were, which felt like the opposite of any game imperative I've ever had. And it was incredibly frustrating. And you feel like you're locked in a sort of cycle of gameplay doom that you know you're getting more points by failing, but you've never been asked to fail so much before. Isn't that weird? It's an interesting mechanic. It's like the world's upside down. I was just disappointed. I mean, as a writer, especially in interactive, you get used to sort of big disappointments. Things, they can never turn out how you dream and how you expect, often because of cost and time and schedule, everything sort of overruns. Okay, it's a character I didn't mention called Dementor. So, unlike the G-Mentor, it's like the D-Mentor. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's there, he's your kind of wingman. We were going to call him wingman. Uh, who can see the problem with calling a character wingman in a game for kids? Hmm? Okay, yeah, it's a gay term apparently. Do you know it's a gay term? I didn't, but the education professors, boy, they knew that straight away. You know, they came, uh, instant email, what, you can't call it gay? It's obviously, everybody knows this, it's a sort of term for, you know, yeah, when you, you know, <laughs> objectives. Most of the research was uh, experiential. It was page after page after page of people sort of talking about, uh, these are the games I play, this is how I use media, um, this, these are my friends, this is my, this was what my first day at school was like, um, you know, these, these are the bullies we've got in, in our schools, sort of stuff like that. Um, so we had to abstract from that, and then we had to look at the learning objectives um, to deal with transition. Um, that Channel 4 wanted us to deliver, you know, which is sort of things like um, uh, you know, uh, resilience and sort of learning understanding and gaining independence and so on. Um, and, but we didn't actually get, we didn't get page after page of detail of what does that really, really mean? You know, what does resilience really mean? So we had to guess from the feedback we got from the educational people whether um, the stuff we were writing was delivering that. And I assume that the... Um, uh, okay. So, um, so this, this, this sort of classic game, you, pick, you, know, you pick up things down here, you, you find a coin. Now, we didn't have coins. I don't know what the hell was going on in here. Um, but somebody decided, oh, let's pick up coins. Okay? And how did that currency find its way into this game? Because we would have thought of a different kind of currency. I mean, you know, it would have been chocolate, drugs, anything like that. Uh, if you go into these guys, they get annoyed and you should have some points sort of going down somewhere. Um, let's go across there. And you should be able to go to. Uh, there's a door out somewhere here. Where's the door? Okay, we got there. Yeah, so you can see now we're in a corridor. And you, can, and you can get up here. And, oh, you get around us. And you get back to it. I think it's a school nurse. She survived. Okay, so, you know, they're all these kind of little games that are in here. This is probably one of the more interesting ones. There's another game which uh, I quite like because you, um, you're talking to... Yeah. Oh, were you going to do something in there? No, I thought you were going to close the game again. Sorry. Okay, no, I want to go back to... Um... Yeah, that's no, okay, I can close this, episode two. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, I just want to go... Oh, do the exercise now. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's up here. You can sort of get it. You can explore the other games in there, but they're you know, pretty simple kind of frogger-type things, a lot of them. Leading multi-platform storytelling. Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us.